Hi guys, this is Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I am your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's another beautiful Thursday. We have survived yet another crazy week of crazy news where it seems like everything, all roads lead back to Elon. No, God, please. No, no, no. We're going to get to Elon. We're going to get to Joni Mitchell and we're going to get to my favorite book of all time at this moment in time for maybe ever. But before that, I want to introduce this week's guest, my friend, the remarkable writer. She has just published her first book. It's a memoir. Uh, She also dabbles in technology, communications and storytelling. She is a wife of a dear friend of mine, Nick, and a mother and a friend. And we have Krista Bilton. Oh my gosh, Brooke, thank you so much for having me. And Krista is the, she is her first book out called Normal Family. We're going to get all into it. We'll have a link in the show notes. Everybody has to read it. This book consumed me. So Krista, it's such a treat to have you on. Oh, it's such a treat. And I'm, I'm excited to learn what happened in the news this week in pop culture because I've been hiding under a rock. So, yeah, Well, you're slightly busy promoting a book. I will say before we get into we're going to do a little pop culture stuff, but I have been hearing Krista's story since you and I got to know each other and to, to like hear it from you in real life is usually sort of a disappointment when I read a book and have it come to life. When I hear somebody's story that I know so personally in the pages of a book, it's different. It's like, okay, it's great, but I've heard it from the actual person. This was not one of those times. It was like as, as awesome as it was to hear your story when you tell it over dinner or cocktail parties to see it, the way you write it, it's just phenomenal. I didn't, it was literally the exact definition of a page turner. So guys, we're going to get to it. But Krista, you know the drill. This is a pop culture podcast. We're going to talk a little pop culture. And since you've been hiding, I am going to tell you what happened. Okay, please. Are you ready? Please, yeah. And this is interesting because I want your take from a, from a, let's put your being a writer, a soon to be hopefully world dominating writer aside for one second and put your comms hat on. We are... PR people, communication strategist extraordinaires. We've dealt with our sort of moments of crisis for clients or, or for the companies we work with. This week, we have yet another Elon-tastic group of stories. So what did he do? And <laughs> well, first and foremost, as I wrote in the newsletter, the latest Elon news, quote unquote, and I say that with a lot of air quotes, news broke on Sunday. But before that, he still would have been in the newsletter because this photo went viral that was showing the most incredible discrepancy in two human beings that you could possibly imagine. Oh, no, no, I did. I did see this. I did see this. So you saw that. So you saw Ari Emanuel, who is the super agent extraordinaire. He's the head of Endeavor. He is in his 60s. He just married his latest wife. Hopefully it's a, a happy union. It seems to be. She's young. She's beautiful. She's talented. She's in my book. She's in your book? Yeah. She's in my book. That's when there's a moment when we are on the verge of homelessness and we go stay 
with a beautiful divorcee and her child. That's not her. That's her. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How did I, this is like the craziest thing that this would happen on in like real time recording this pod. It all circles back. Shut up. So you grew up with her for a few years. Yeah. You guys- she was my little sister's best friend. And, and yeah, when, when we had one of our many big financial crashes, her incredibly warm hearted mother took us in. Yeah. So oh she's, she's in the my- so I saw those pictures. So I'm not as under a rock as I thought. Oh no, I was. you're not under. Well, there's more to the story. This is so amazing. So really, guys, this was completely unplanned. But part of the story is Ari Emanuel has just married this this beautiful young woman, and it I we're just learning here for the first time that one of the characters in the book. This is a true story about Krista's crazy life. We're going to get into. She, the new bride of Ari Emanuel, is in the book. So as a little girl, it's really you guys have to read it now. Um, But Ari was spraying down a rather beefy Elon, not to body shame, but as it's been pointed out by many, Elon has body shamed quite a few, including Bill Gates with a picture of Bill Gates with the pregnant man emoji. That was fun. I see. So he asked for it. He asked for it, but Elon was, it wasn't just that he was beefy. He's just an oddly shaped character. Very, 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 very pale being hosed down on a boat in the Aegean by an incredibly fit an incredibly hot, sexy, like the Ari Emanuel, who is, you know, at least 10 years older than him. Um, and it just set off a lot of funny memes for sure. So many memes. There were so many things, just the fact that Ari was hosing him down, but the body differences, whatnot, so much so that then Dylan Byers of Puck published his newsletter where he was able to get a hold of Ari Emanuel's diet and exercise regimen, which starts at 2 a.m. He does multiple workouts. He does multiple meditations. He eats micro worms, which I found was like the only thing of the entire, the entire thing that he does, I would be willing to do. I'm like, I'll eat you the worms. You would eat micro worms? I'm going to go, ooh, Addison's for yeah, office. Yeah, I would eat micro worms. I would not wake up at 2 a.m. to start my fitness regimen. I would not eat only two meals of this. It's like, it's like Posh Beckham. Like, I just find, I guess I'll live a shorter life, but there's cheese, and I'm never going to say. Well, I have like, two I'm, young children, so it's just impossible. I just can't imagine how you'd live through that, basically. You'd get no sleep. You get no sleep. And like when the kids, like how do you as a parent feed your children if you're on like these cleanses and you're looking at like the pasta or the chicken nuggets or whatever it is you feed them? I would I would not be able to survive. But Ari Emanuel is clearly built differently. So that was the thing that went viral. But no, 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 no. Things took another turn. And on Sunday, I first learned of this story by a news alert that was pushed to my phone by the Wall Street Journal. I expect news alerts to be pretty spectacular in terms of their importance. What was the news alert? Like it should be important. It should be like Ukraine's been bombed or some iconic figure has died or there's been a, a coup attempt on the government. The Wall Street Journal, the Wall Street Journal. Okay, I understand it's owned by Murdoch. What 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 was the alert? The alert was Elon Musk has affair with Sergey Brin's wife. 
Oh yes, I did see that too. Mm-hmm. It's now coming back to me. It's insane. And yeah, this these are the things you want to like bury deep into your psyche. <laughs> I know. So I'm like, oh my god! At first, and then and then I'm not even joking, Krista. My as you can imagine, because of the content, because of the salaciousness, because of the day of which it was, my phone blew up, mm-hmm. and like 45 people texted me that article or the Daily Mail article, which is obviously you know much more fun because it had lots. Of pictures. But I'm like, as I was grappling with it, first of all, and we can get into the the whole reaction to it, but as I was grappling with this, like, wow, why is the Wall Street Journal, like, how is it impacting the businesses? I think it's extreme clickbait. That's what it is. But it's a little bit sad that it's the journal pushing it out. If it was the Daily Mail or TMZ or page six, like, okay. But by the way, it gets even weirder. So the the story goes that, and they're trying to make a case that Sergey is responsible for Elon's early success because Sergey gave some sort of loan to Elon and Elon then repaid his gratitude by sleeping with Sergey's now, by the way, estranged wife. So they're not denying the fact that Hmm. Sergey and the wife were separated at the time. They have now since gone through divorce proceedings. But my understanding, by the way, in all of this, and you know, your husband has covered this industry and you've been in this industry. My knowledge from what I know of the people involved was that a lot of this world are very open. They're very like open marriage, very fluid. And I don't fucking care. It's not for me to judge, like have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. Bang away. Have wife swaps. I don't care. I don't see why it's a breaking news story on a Sunday in the Wall Street Journal, an investigative piece that has been, you know, that they stand by even after Elon has not only categorically denied it, but then published a photo of him and Sergey together the night before at a party saying like, oh yeah, we really hate each other. It's, it's also bizarre. Yeah. It's also bizarre. And I'm trying to understand like, what has the media landscape become? You know, I mean, if that's like, what's It's just all was- about what gets attention, unfortunately. But that's really, it's not a good thing for society because it, it just distorts what gets covered in such a, in such a sad way. I know. And what would you do if, if say Elon were your client, not that he cares about PR. Or anything, he doesn't care. He famously, when, when, when my journalist husband asks him for quotes, he now just sends poop emojis. Yeah. He just sends out poop emojis, right? I mean, that's yeah, he's, he doesn't of- care at all. I think he fired his whole comms team. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he certainly mastered the troll behavior, but I just find it so disheartening to see established media, business media, sort of become sensationalistic around things that have absolute no bearing to their business, to shareholders, to the economy, with everything going on in the world. The fact that I'm sure lawyers were involved, so much manpower was put behind a story around two people having sex, like consenting to adults. And apparently even that wasn't necessarily the case. Right. No, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess you could make the case that he's a big person of interest because of the whole Twitter thing and also Tesla and, but I don't necessarily see the, yes, his personal life is a separate, a separate matter, but they also did this with Jeff's affair. They did this with, 
Yeah, but the thing is, so the the thing is, yes, the news came out of Jeff Bezos's affair initially in the tabloids, right? So then the business media do have to cover it at that point if it was impacting. And he was the current CEO and married. And there was a lot, like neither one, I don't know, none of this, it just feels different to me. Uh, mm-hmm. it, again, if the Daily Mail or, or a tabloid had broken the story. It just seems strange that it's the journal with it or, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm like, when did, and I guess everything is pop culture now. Like, I mean, it's just so weird. It's true. I mean, I look it's, forward to the day when one of Elon's hundreds of children write their own memoir. Well, I, you know, there are also parallels to your story with what this seeming, this, this trend. So we have a trend of, and the guys, just to give you the premise of normal family, which I'll let Krista tell you, but she's the product of a single mom who asked a friend, and again, she'll get into it, to be a theoretical sperm donor. Both her and her sister were conceived that way, um, only to find out, you know, not, not so, I guess it was pretty recently in the last, how many years ago? 10 years ago, but as an adult, 10 years ago, as an adult found out that her dad was actually a sperm donor. And, um, there are many, 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 many siblings, including a Trump supporter, which I love that little (laughs) detail. We even have a Trump supporter. Yes. Um, One one right winger among the bunch. Unreal. Unreal. It takes, it just takes you guys to, to change one. That's all you need to do. But the, um, there is this trend, Elon, and then this guy, Nick Cannon, who I think was, I think he was married to Mariah Carey. Anyway, he's he's just announced he's having his like 12th child or something. Mm. And he and Elon are very vocal about them wanting to repopulate society. That dwindling, you know, numbers of people like me, the outrageous people like me who aren't having children are hurting society and the workforce and America. And so Elon and Nick Cannon are doing God's work and getting a whole lot of ladies pregnant. Did we ever figure out, speaking of another pop culture moment, did we ever figure out if Amber Heard's child is Elon's? I mean, looking at all the data, it doesn't seem entirely unfounded. So I would imagine there is some reality there. Maybe we'll get a push notification in the next few days about it from the Wall Street Journal. I mean, yeah. I don't know whether or not that he was a part of that, like, you know, he agreed to it. I don't know. The baby certainly does have Elon baby looks because I'm, I've seen some of Elon. I saw Elon's baby X in real life. And that kid is cute. Kid was cute as a little nugget could be. Mm-hmm. So he makes cute babies. Some of them don't talk to him. I think he has one child who is transgender and has come out as a woman and has also written themselves out of the family estate, said that they want to have nothing to do with their father, Elon, especially because Elon has put out some transphobic statements before. Mm, that's right. So, that's right. Yeah. So I'm getting a lot of comments from people who were very surprised and disappointed that I did not have Joni Mitchell in this week's newsletter. So I will absolutely have it in next week's. We cannot play music on this podcast or else we literally, I would be bankrupt. David would never talk to me again. I've learned the hard way. I wish I could play Joni Mitchell throughout all of the podcasts, but I, I do not. I did not include it because honest to God, I couldn't 
watch it from an emotional standpoint at that moment in time. I mean, it's so Joni played the first full set, I think in a gazillion years, she played at this Newport music festival along with Brandy Carlisle. I actually saw the both of them in Vegas at Grammy weekend during the music cares event, which honored Joni Mitchell. And it was a very long and tedious event where people like John Legend played Joni Mitchell songs, but there was not a lot of Joni Mitchell and Brandy was sort of the shining light of Joni. She seems to be like the heir apparent of Joni Mitchell and I'm here for it because I love Brandy Carlisle. But I don't know, do you have an emotional connection to Joni Mitchell? Like I just hear two sounds of, of, of her song, her song, two notes and I will start to cry. Like that no, I love, scene. I love her so much. Both Sides Now is definitely such an incredible, incredible song. I mean, come on. And I think now it's like I, the minute I turn on Love Love Actually, I'm waiting for that scene when, you know, and right when she opens a CD and the song is playing and she knows her husband is having an affair and I'm just sobbing. <laughs> I mean, I grew up, I grew up, you know, all my mom's music was that and Fleetwood Mac and Bob Dylan and all that stuff. So, so that's what I sort of felt was a really natural segue into, into talking about your mom and talking about normal family and and giving us a summary because your mom feels very Joni Mitchell to me. Your mom has a very, again, I haven't met her, but just the reading the book, I felt like she might have a kinship towards Joni Mitchell. My mom, and the reason why Joni is such a difficult one for me to really power through is she was my mom's favorite Mm -hmm. and my mom would play her for me. She would sit in a front porch and listen to the rain fall on the screened in porch. Mm -hmm. And she would have her cigarettes and her Chardonnay with ice and listen to Joni Mitchell. And I would sit there and be like, what is happening? But now it's just like such a core memory and what it made me think of when in did you reading lose your mom, my parents died. My mom died in the sort of late spring of 1997 and my dad died on New Year's 1998. I'm sorry. That must have been. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's you know, it's it shapes us. All of these family stories shape us. But what I will say And that I I find I struggle with are having these really core memories. I have a few. Mm -hmm. I have definitely a few core memories that I play over like a videotape in my brain. And sometimes I'll see a photo like my nieces found photos this past weekend and photos I haven't seen. And they sent them to me and it like triggered all of these sort of flood of memories. Mm -hmm. But your recall in this storytelling in your book, Normal Family, was preposterous to me. Mm. I just am, you know, again, I, I would, I used to think that I didn't have these memories because of trauma, but you have come from so much trauma and yet you have such a, a recall for what you experienced and the conversations you've had and the feelings you felt and all the different places that you lived and people you met starting at such a young, young age. Was that always there or did you have to do like exercises to bring that to the surface? I'm just curious in the process. And then, and then I want you to tell us a little bit about the story. Yeah. You know, that, that's such an interesting thought process because there were, there were some, there were different pieces to it. So there, I also had these core memories and there were certain times where that I was really focused on. Like I could remember every detail of this sequence of events, but then maybe other things that for some reason stuck with me less, I couldn't remember much of. So the book was a process. My mother 
God bless her, has this sort of precarious relationship to the truth, as you learn about in the book. And so a lot of what my mother told me about my life was in contradiction to my lived experience. And so in many ways, I was reporting out my life in this book and the things that I didn't understand or where my memories didn't line up with her story. And so some of it was a puzzle that I was sort of obsessed with figuring out, but I hope that the reader feels like a a sense of page turning through that. I was trying to place the memories along with the events of reporting it out. And then also there was a process, you know, in my early twenties, I got sober and I did a lot of healing work around some of the harder times in my life. And Through that experience, it was kind of like the thawing of a big piece of ice that was clogging all my emotions around. So I think my emotional memory uh, for a lot of my life was sort of frozen. And but by the time I wrote the book, I you know that wasn't the case anymore. So so I do think sometimes trauma. I don't think it you know it makes you not want to look at stuff. It's still there. I think. Yeah. It's just you're only able to look at how much you're able to look at. at, at But your mom also did something that I thought was really interesting. You write about throughout, which is the box of all of the memories, whether it was curated by her to create a story she wanted you to know, regardless, that was something that you, that sort of held on to those sort of touchstones, I feel like. So, Mm -hmm. so in the book, you guys learn that Krista, they were two boxes, one for Krista, one for her sister that held memories, if you will, right? Were they just photos or were there also like pieces of art and things you did? Yeah, she had these golden memory boxes, she called them, and she did them every year. And she would, you know, I mean, the one, one of the really great blessings of having written this book is that um, while I was writing it, my mom documented everything. And she took, you know, many thousands of photos of everything that my sister and I did, which, and this is before we had iPhones, when that's a more natural thing. I don't feel like a lot of people growing up our age have thousands of photos for every year of their life. But my mother did take thousands of photos. So, you know, those things spark memories too. Like you, you remember a time and a place where you lived, but seeing a photo of it often is not what you remember. And so that can often, as you said, it sparks memories that, that, that you didn't even realize were there. Did she use a Polaroid or did she use like real film that she would have to then get developed? She Real film that she got developed that she during her sober years would then carefully organize into photo albums. Oh my God. It's amazing. That's an amazing thing. I will say, I tell people take as document so much of it. Like I have no, my parents were the opposite. They were, they just did not live in a world where cameras, cameras, and especially the iteration of video, it was just something they didn't ever adopt. And so I have no video of my mom or dad. I have nothing with their voice. I have nothing. Mm. So it's all built in my head. But there's something you talk that's throughout this book that I found really profound that really unlocked something for me, which is this, the word, the feeling of shame, Mm. which you talk a lot about, but you feel like you have, and there's shame, you know, your mom being a lesbian and you had shame around that at times. There was shame around your living situations when your mom was, you know, unable to provide and you sort of went from living in grand, huge homes, sort of a la Kardashian style to living in a teeny office if you will, in an office building, there was shame around, you know, your father, there was shame around the siblings that you learned about. So 
it seemed to me as much of a book about your story as a book of sort of overcoming shame. And it reminded me of a story that I, a memory that I hadn't had, uh, I had locked away, but I think I had had so much shame. I remember this one time when my mom was ill and she was trying to look like she was healthy and she slipped when we were at a mm. restaurant and she fell in front of everybody. And I, and I wish it's one of those memories that I wish I could go back and re and reset the story. Cause I, instead of being like, Oh my gosh, mom, how can I help you? I'm here for you. I love you. Don't worry about this. I acted like a very petulant, spoiled child and was like, ashamed of her, angry at her for being sick, angry at her for falling and making a spectacle spectacular. And, you know, you realize that shame is such a heavy thing that we all live with. And like, you know, this, this world that we now, everybody's being sort of publicly shamed. It's so interesting mm. how you address it in your book. And I just wondered, like, was that a process that you were aware of when you started out that that was such a big theme? Yeah, I think, I think that's, so astute of you to, to think about because we didn't put in a lot of the marketing, but I'd say that that was my, that is my journey in the book is coming to this place because I, you know, I grew up in this really unconventional family that was not quote unquote normal. And from a very early age, I started hiding parts of myself that I thought people would reject me for that made me less lovable. And I think that a lot of that is growing up with either a dysfunctional or an alcoholic parent. That's often like something that's passed down. You know, my mom had shame about her sexuality. And I think as kids, you also adopt what your parents have shame around. She had shame right. around the times that we had harder economic circumstances. So I sort of learned to be ashamed of that. So for a lot of my life, especially into adolescence and my early college years, there, there were periods of time where I didn't have a single friend who knew anything true about me which is so sad. It's yeah. just really heartbreaking. And I worked so hard to present an outside appearance of everything being great. You know, I'd have, I had to have boyfriends who didn't know where I lived because I was so ashamed that it wasn't what I thought. They wouldn't love me if they knew that we right. were poor or there was a guy I dated for almost two years who didn't know my mom was gay. And so like, how can you really know anyone in a deep way if they don't know these deeper things about you? And so yeah. So it was my own journey of, you know, like I said, like I got sober, but then I also did a lot of therapy and I did a lot of other stuff. And I started hearing other people just tell their stories truthfully. And, you know, memoir as a genre is my favorite. And I think when people just own their whole life and the things yeah. that were difficult and the things that I think that that can have such like a, it can allow other people to do the same thing. And, and, you know, so there were others that, that sort of showed me the way. And then, so that was really one of the goals. It's of incredible. Book. I will say memoir as a genre is such a great thing. It's such a, it's actually some of my, the, the three books that I've read in one after the other have been memoirs. So there's Chris mm -hmm. Blackwell's book, Islander, who is the founder of Island Records and he owns GoldenEye and he's just my darling friend and it's such an amazing book. And the book that I read after yours is this guy, Hassan Akkad, uh, who wrote this book, Hope Not Fear, and he's a Syrian refugee and escaped and then his whole sort of struggle with that, but then being sort of tied up because of COVID and lockdown and his giving back by working in a hospital and yours, Normal Family, which really is not just like on the surface, it's about the story of a young woman who finds out her dad was a sperm donor and you have how many siblings? 
that you know of? I think of? now now it's about 40, but we, we guess it's at least 100. It's incredible. And you hear that, but it's not, I went into it thinking it was just going to be that story, but it's not. That is just, mm-hmm. that's the subtext. That's not the focus of the story. The focus of the story is this incredible, how does the story sort of come to be in terms of who your mom is? And your mom is both this trailblazer and in terms of her sexuality, in terms of her understanding the world of politics, understanding the world of transcendentalism and understanding the world of real estate. I mean, she sort of covered all of these areas. Yeah, people have compared her to a Forrest Gump because she was, as you said, she was like a leader. She was everywhere. Cults, I mean, like she, yeah. she's, you know, she's hanging with Mick Jagger and she's, it's like, it's so funny because I always think about one day I'll write my memoirs and people will be like, that's just not true, Brooke. You didn't do that. Or you did not have sex with that person. I don't believe it. But it's so. And some reviewer made that comment too. They were like, some of the things that Krista's mother did were just unbelievable. I'm like, I can get these people to write in and say it happened. Yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, it is because it is such a what a big life, and you've lived and you have such an incredible way of telling that story. But at the same time, you did it in such a way that was so. It was so genius because you you brought us into this sort of like early days in the childhood, the sort of how you grew up in your life. And then later in life, this existence of this side world you knew nothing about and going from having like consistently inconsistent is the Mm -hmm. way that you sort of grew up. You didn't have a steady ground underneath your feet. you always felt like it was it could disappear or go away in any second. And then you find some of that stability in your life as a young as a young adult only to then learn that actually no you have 40 maybe 100 siblings and all of the romanticism you had about your family dynamic sort of changed overnight yes too and and you know back to the shame conversation i also that led me to realize that as much as my mother had had this glamorous life there was there was some really dark undercurrents that she was so ashamed of she hadn't even shared these huge traumas that she had been through with me and just the way and we were only able to get close after I learned that and that's I think the irony of shame is it really you know we do it to protect ourselves from some perceived rejection but it prevents us from having true deep relationships and it's generational right shame is definitely passed on from one and it's up to you know that you in this moment to break that cycle but you you tell that story well you go back into time it's just I honestly guys I can't say enough about how much I loved this book Now, I'm curious, did you ask for your mom's blessing before you wrote this book? Did you determine whether or not she wanted you to? You were going to still do it? Where did that? How did she feel about it? And your dad, by the way. You know, so both sides were a process. So with my mother, (laughs) when I first, you know, to contextualize this, I've been trying to write the story of me and my mother since I was 17. So it's a little bit like the boy who cried wolf. I don't think that she believed I would ever actually publish a book. So when I, you know, four years ago sat her down and said, okay, mom, I'm really going to do it. And I started doing interviews with her. I think that she in her brain thought this was sort of like, oh, this is just quality time I'm spending with my daughter. Sure. She's recording this, but this is never going to see the light of day. So she happily participated. And then I gave her a, a, like a finished manuscript. And that was, then she had a big nervous breakdown about me putting all of this 
Did she ask you to not do it after she read she it? She did. And I, that was such an intense experience that I almost, that I almost pulled the book. Um, and I, I would have had to return my advance and all. And, but you know, that was, and I thought about it, but I would be so heartbroken because I just, I've wanted and needed to tell this story for so yeah. many reasons for so long that it felt like that wasn't the right thing. The interesting thing is the things that she didn't want in the book were not the things that I was the most worried that would be hard for her. So she was like, oh, the depths of my drug addiction. Everybody's a drug addict. She thought those, the stories of her cocaine and use, like, she thought that was, that was hilarious. But she had a much harder time with me telling the story of the trauma of her childhood, even though her parents right. are dead, because she in her mind wanted to protect them. Generational trauma. Inti- yeah, that was yeah. how intense her shame. And I was like, mom, if I don't tell this story, some of the, the trickier decisions you made are not going to, you're not going to be forgiven by the reader for some of this stuff, you know? And I think it's so important to who you are as a multidimensional. It's, it's very uninteresting to have a, this glamorous mother who just had a great time of it. And life was, you know what I mean? We're, as human beings, we're, we do struggle, you know, and, and she overcame right. a lot. And yeah, I, I think, think that, if you hadn't told that story, I mean, she still is such an interesting character and this glamorous woman, no matter what, no matter how many hardships she came across, she was still in her perfect nails and driving the, you know, the great car around the streets of LA, but the backstory gave it so much more. And was her father governor or her grandfather? Her governor? grandfather was governor. Her, so your great grandfather yeah. was governor of California. And father had fought in the Korean War and I think had a lot of trauma from a that trauma from that yeah. so fucking interesting well and can I ask about your dad my dad he's challenging in different ways so he just he likes the press attention and you know when he he originally came the whole reason this story came out is because my father decided to participate in this New York Times story in 2007 where um, where they tra- where a couple of the biological siblings came to California to meet their sperm donor father. And and again, you had no idea this was going on. The story came out. I actually looked it up and I saw the photo and I remember hearing about this story where he's sitting on like a park bench with one of them. You guys had no idea. We had no time? idea. And that he called my mother that and, you know, not only did I have no idea that my father had been a career sperm donor, I had no idea that my mother had paid him to have me. So, right. you know, and I'm the first kid. And then that gave him the idea to do this professionally. Right. So you're um, the inspo. I'm the, yes, I'm the big sis. <laughs> For, but, he was um, like cr- California cryo number 150 or something. What was something yeah. like that? California yeah. sperm donor. He, one of the most prolific sperm donors of the largest sperm bank in the world. So he called my mom on Valentine's day to say that this story was in the New York times. And she drove to the, just to say that there was a story in the times and to go get the paper. And she went and she had this, Massive nervous breakdown, and she swore she would never As tell one us. Would. As one would, you know, in her brain, even though they had not been in a traditional relationship, he had been the father to us, and in, in, in her mind, she this was like he had had a thousand affairs, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. she was just hurt. And you know, she she comically goes and finds him where he's living on the streets in Venice, and tries to get him to marry her, and because she thinks that that will make it easier for us, at least if our parents were married. I mean, you know, she's totally, she starts walking down the streets of West Hollywood and peering into baby strollers to look at the eyes and the ears to see if like every single kid of a gay person is also my father's child. And she's really, you know, she, 
You lose. I could imagine, though, it just got to fuck with your head. How did it not get on your radar? I guess it's just because you just. Well, then the only reason she told us, do you remember, is because it turned out I was possibly dating my brother. Yeah. And so she had to tell us. And that is just. Did you ever speak to that guy again? I did. I didn't get to. I wanted to sort of protect the privacy of the family. So I didn't. Yeah, I didn't get too deeply into that story, but you didn't, as you but. can imagine, knowing that you've been sleeping with possibly your half brother for, you know, over a year. That's a pretty it's a surreal. Experience. I mean, it's something out of a movie. We see it out of the movies like you can't be with him. He's your brother. It's like <laughs> something out of Dynasty or something. And it's literally I'm reading this. I was actually reading that part in a Persian tiny little hole in the wall in this in London. I sent you the picture because I was like. I was so riveted. I was like sitting there eating, reading by myself in this little Persian restaurant that the waiter who I sent you a picture of was like, what is this book? I've never <laughs> seen anybody so enthralled with the book. And he wanted to take a picture with the book. I sent you the like Persian waiter who spoke very little English. Mm. Very excited about your book. I, I worked very hard to make it a page turner. And I, there's also a lot of humor in it. So I don't want to give the impression that it's just this heavy. Oh, no, it's heavy fun. Material but yeah it's a it's heavy that's what you do so masterfully and I think it's something that maybe you and I both share because like I have a lot of you know come from a lot of darkness mm -hmm. but somebody once told me I use my sense of humor to disguise my ignorance when my first job in PR somebody told me that and I was like it's so crazy how wrong you are like I definitely mm -hmm. use my sense of humor but it's to because I see the world in a different way now when you have so much trauma you can either get sucked into that trauma and be in a world of darkness like in the upside down or you can actually say, you know what, I've been through the battlefields and I'm on the other side of it. And let's like, let's find the beauty in things. Let's find mm -hmm. the delight in some things. It's going to be hard at times, but that doesn't change how I want to see the world. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that's why I, I use humor and fun, even though I know there's so much darkness in the back of it. And it feels like to me, like you have this very, very heavy story, but normal family reads like it's so fun and it's so interesting. And it's so like, I see it playing out on the big screen. Like I'm casting it From as your we mouth go. to God's ears. I'm <laughs> casting it. I don't know. I just hope Timothy Chalamet plays somebody in it. Um, I maybe my abusive ex-boyfriend or yeah, I dad. think he could have yeah. been that guy. Yeah. I'd like Florence Pugh to be in it. Like there's all this, I've cast the whole thing. It's amazing. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I could sit here and talk to you all day, but we got to wrap it. But the way that I always end the pod is I, I give it and my guests talk about it. We do a make out Mary or mute. And it could be of hmm. like characters in your book. It could be people in pop culture. It could be relevant. It could be I, things. I, I don't want to make out with any more siblings or people related <laughs> to me. So let's do something in pop culture instead. <laughs> so while you're thinking about it, I could do mine. And then okay. that, would that help you? Okay. So I am definitely, definitely, definitely making out with Ari Emanuel. Sorry. I know that you were like, you know, that's, he's now married to a character from your book and she's beautiful and I would not step on her toes and he would never obviously make out with me, but he just a fantasy make out. That guy's body is amazing. I thought, you know, for somebody in his sixties, I was mm. blown away. Um, I would marry, I would marry London. I will just say that I just came back from being in London and being all over Europe, but 
my heart is in London. I found that city to just be alive. And I'm now like trying to figure out every single way I can get back to London all the time. It's just, it really more than New York. I did not miss New York. Like I miss London. So that's interesting. Mm. And then I would mute all Elon news. I just want, like, <laughs> I just want a, a fucking break. We don't need Elon. Like, please just like, give us like a month. It's all I ask, like mm. Elon free. So that's, that's where I'm at. What about you? I would marry you. Cause I think you're just so friggin' adorable. And that's the, you best. are the best offer I've ever gotten. <laughs> Nick might be a little jealous, but that's maybe okay. Nick, I've known Nick forever. He's fine. He'll be fine. I'll just keep making out with my husband because he's so cute. Okay. Let's see. What would I mute? By the way, Nick and I were part of a very pop culture moment when, I mean, having a very extended lunch that turned into drinks that turned into a drunken night with David Carr and Shane Smith and mm. Bono and me. I think he told me about and our this friend. Night. Yeah, I think our friend, our friend Googie and Simon were there too. We we was in Dublin, and it it was it was one of the most memorable moments of forever of my life, um, mm. and one of the last fun experiences we had with David Carr. So, anyway, um, okay, who would you mute? What would who you? Who would mute? I mute? I don't know who I would mute. Um, give me some ideas. What's the most? What's the most fun way? What is someone muted that? has been hilarious. I well no, I think like think about the the political people. I would mute like I might speak for you that this Matt Gates guy. I don't even know who he represents. Where is he from Florida? He's right, let's mute Matt Gates. Perfect. He's the one saying that the women that are protesting abortions are um the type of women that would never get pregnant yeah. anyway because they're fat no, and he's ugly. Awful. Let's yeah. mute so let's him. Just, Perfect. Let's just universally mute him. Well this is amazing. Guys, normal family, get it on Amazon. Is there gonna be an audiobook or is that out? already there's an audiobook it's out i narrate it oh yeah. my god i'm gonna listen to it just because i love to i love reading but i also then want to hear it from your voice so it's incredible everybody get this book i'm obsessed let's cast this movie i let's can't wait i want to see you as producer executive producer and get it all done and as always guys thanks for coming along on this wild ride thanks david my incredible producer and we'll see you next week thanks david and thanks brooke so much for having me. Bye. Pop culture.